If you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, um, I'd like to share a story or two from uh, Mark with you today. As some of you uh, know, we have as a community been going through um, one by one what is known as the seven deadly sins, okay, um, for sure. And also, each week we're trying to show the counter side of these sin, uh, you know, like a virtue. So some of us call it a vices and virtue time, um, but what I call it is the woodshed because it just seems like, yeah, every week we're just getting hit with some stuff. And I think uh, that's a good thing. I mean, to, to take some long, hard looks at ourselves to see if there's some stuff that, that are, that's in us that doesn't belong. I mean, every once in a while, we just get this grace from the Holy Spirit to just look back on our lives and look back and see, you know, is there a trail of just devastation in my past relationships and people and decisions that I look back and think, why did I do that? And what is going on behind that? I mean, this is a good time for us to just take, take a moment and look in the mirror and see what's actually going on there. This is the third week. Um, last week, we got to hear from somebody that a lot of us respect greatly, Joe Stoll, as he spoke on greed and generosity. And then the week prior to that, uh, we, we, we thought through envy and contentment. Unless you were in the 9 a.m., then it was just envy, because I forgot the whole contentment part. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to have two things. Okay, anyway, so um, if you feel like you didn't get your money's worth on that, I would be happy to talk to you about that anytime. I have some good ideas about where contentment comes from and all that. Um, it's not like these things are a Bible verse, okay? These things are, about, they are something that's birthed out of wisdom and discernment. I mean, if you kind of look into this, the people have been editing this list and, and working towards kind of wrestling through this stuff since maybe even as far back as the third century. So this idea of, of these uh, devastating sins uh, have been around for quite some time. And I think it's good to look at it and say, you know what, how long has it been since I started letting my identity being shaped by things that I don't have, that other people have. How long have I been letting who I am start to erode underneath this, uh, this envy that I have for other people? I mean, when did I become a greedy person? Where, where did that start? Once I, I used to see Jesus as this extreme, generous gift to humanity who gave his life. And then at some point along the way, I started to become uh, somebody who's living exact opposite of that and keeping everything for myself. Where is that coming from? I think it's good for us to start to stand up to some strongholds that are in our lives and are in this community. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal our, uh, in our lives any of this stuff. And not just to make us better people. Not to make us acceptable before the Lord. But because I actually think there's a really important what if behind this whole sermon uh, series, if you want to call it that, for this seven week um, season. The big what if that I'm wondering is, is just like the sin that, or, that you have in your life doesn't just affect you. I mean, why not also wonder if, if the humility and repentance that you have in your life, what if that affects more than just you as well? What if the people that are looking at you start to see some things confirmed that they were suspicious about about God? 
What if they just needed to see one fraction of light come out of your life that they could start to be drawn to? As, they start, as, your, as your children start to see you become a person who looks more and more like Christ, and then through that, they then start to take steps themselves. I mean, what if the people that you work with have just a desire to see somebody who isn't acting just like everyone else in the world? And they can see through you, through maybe one step that you take to bring down some, some idolatry and sin in your life. And they then start to see a path that you're forging with the Holy Spirit to Christ. I want to see a city look at this church and say, there is a God in Crossroads. So today the topic that I would like to talk to you about is anger. And usually the counterweight to that is patience. And I have a lot of things that I could talk about about patience, um, especially it being part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But I have it on my heart to make an amendment to this list um, today, instead of talking about patience, to set that aside and actually do the vice and virtue of anger and anchor. And the reason for this is... Uh, I think a lot of people don't think that there is a virtuous way to be angry. And they don't know what to do with that. I mean, as I started to look at just, you know, filling my heart up with this topic in the Bible, the first thing that you're going to start to notice is God is one of the most angry people in the whole book. What do you, you know, what do you do with that? I mean, is there a way to be like God? Is there a way to... to, to to start to channel that in the right way? Or are we going to pretend like there is no righteous way to be angry? And it's a huge topic. I'm confronted by this idea, and I want to pursue that with you today. I mean, when I read that verse in Ephesians chapter 4, it was a little arresting to me to see the words, be angry. You probably heard this one. Be angry. And sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give the devil a foothold. What do you do with that? You can't just have no boundaries on the anger that's in your life, right? I mean, we, we can't just trust this emotional state that some of us go into wholesale. I mean, you might have read the first chapter of James. What does he say there? Uh, there's a very famous verse. Be slow to speak, quick, quick to listen, and slow to anger. For the anger of this world does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Well, what if, what if that's a big part of the anger that's in our lives? How do I know? It's a big topic, and I feel really stressed out about talking about it. So pray for me. Pray for each other. This world is really angry. I mean, it's tearing itself apart right now because it's just everywhere. I turn on the news and it's just, everybody is so angry. You just see these people talking about everything and angry, they're just foaming at the mouth. Politicians, uh, you know, news anchors and, 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 and people that they're interviewing and, and just commentators talking about every single topic you can think of. And they're just mad about it, mad about immigrants, mad about minorities, mad about the pandemic and every decision that's made that's a part of it, it's just angry and hate. Stuff that we see through video nowadays is, is unparalleled. I mean, in my lifetime, I saw, I, I've seen the rise of just unmitigated 
violence, put, you know, like actual violence. You can just see on YouTube and on the news of things that are happening because other countries are angry with this country and other people are angry with this people. And it just starts to work its way in. And if there's no boundary, if there's nobody asking a question to say, hey, is, is this okay? It could take us over. The rise of the individual. We've all been seeing this, you know, as, as the platforms that we have of social media start to deify uh, the individual preference and the individual, uh, uh, the things that we, uh, we prize is our individual rights and my individual ideas and my individual self. And we start to see this development, I don't know if you know this, of just a greater degree of discrimination possibilities every single day and people are mad. And then, this is all just facts that you know. There's a whole group of people who are mad about everyone who's mad about everything. <laughs> you know, you get somebody who's mad about, you know, something that's going on. And then people are, I can't believe that guy's so mad about that. And it's just more noise. And I haven't even really specifically even talked about the Christian. Some of the Christians in this world are the maddest of all. What do you do with that? Think about your home. There are people probably in this church and in this room who anger has a foothold in your house and in your marriage and in your life there is anger that has taken over. Maybe today is a day where you start to ask yourself some hard questions about is this of God or not? And maybe you even just need to, this one verse in Colossians that just set it off for me which was, it's time to set aside anger, malice, and coarse talk. Maybe you just need to write that down. I think it's Colossians 3 and just say, this could be me this week. I'm going to set it aside and just see if the Holy Spirit can churn up any health in my life. It starts with you. It starts today. So I'd like to read to you a story that I think threads the needle or at least opens up the conversation of both sides of anger from Mark chapter three. Please stand with me for the reading if you are able to. Mark chapter three and verse one. And yet another time, Jesus went to the synagogue. This was their, what we would call church. And there was a man with a shriveled hand some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, come out and stand before everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and the man's hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out, began to plot with the Herodians at how they might kill Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Verse 6 is kind of notable as I'm reading that. I don't know if you know the Herodian and the Pharisees, they're not friends. This must be, you know, pretty deep level of hatred. Uh, you, know, you could consider the Herodian being more of like what their world would have as like a Democrat in our world and then the Pharisee being like a Republican. And they're like working together out of just your hatred for Jesus. This is pretty notable. How do they get there? You might have noticed in verse 5, Jesus looking around in, in anger. This is the only time I can find in, the, in the, all of the Gospels where that's specifically said. I know that and you could say there's times of anger, the cleansing of the temple and whatnot, but uh, there's something notable happening here. So I'd like to talk to you about it. Um, Gospel of Mark is quickly becoming one of my favorite takes on Jesus out of the four Gospels because of it's, it's just so different. I mean, it's short and compact and it's jagged and uh, abrupt at times. The language that's used, it's just to me, I, I, I'm constantly looking at myself or looking at it thinking, wow, this is just, it's really taking me in, okay? So I'm just living in it a little bit. I mean, you, you know, the very last line of the oldest manuscript of Mark, what's it say? And the women went, a, went away and they were afraid. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of movie that I'd watch, right? Like a cliffhanger at the end. Like, what's going to happen? You know, when Inception, when, they, when he spun that thing at the very end and you don't know if it's going to fall, and then the movie just ends. I remember that feeling that I had. You know, this is the Gospel of Mark. Starts off with a, a, a real bang, you know, talking about this prophet-like guy, John the Baptist, and him baptizing Jesus, and then this voice comes from heaven, and then he goes straight to the wilderness, and it says there's like wild beasts out there, and then he goes into the synagogue, and there's a demon-possessed man, and then he's like accumulating disciples who are unlikely, and then he goes and touches this leper. Who touches a leper? This is insane. And then you get to chapter 2. This is what I want to really unfold together today is a series of five stories that ends in chapter three, one through six. Okay, so disregard the chapter markings. This is a chunk of five. Okay, this is what I would consider a sandwich. Talked to you about this two weeks ago. Not to mention the three middle stories are about eating. Speaking of sandwiches, the two Ends of it are a similar version of miracles, of miraculous events um, that I call spite miracles. Not just a regular miracle, it's a spite miracle. All of these stories are these clashes and controversy that Jesus has with the religious people. You know about spite. Something you just have to do sometimes to prove a point. I walked five miles backwards one time. I thought of this in the early, earlier services. I was on the Mackinac Bridge doing the bridge walk like you do, and I don't remember the argument. Honestly, I don't even know why this would be the, the, the solution, but I'm that stubborn. And somebody, I think, just challenged me to walk the whole bridge backwards. I don't know why. That's a spite act that I did, okay? That's, that's my best example. I really have tried to figure out a good example for spite, but I can't find one. Okay, so... What's going on in these miracles is that Jesus is doing it to prove a point. Let's look at the first one. Story number one. Jesus is in a house starting to teach. People are coming around. They're eating this up. The crowd is getting bigger. And then we see one of the, a very beautiful story of these four friends. 
There's actually five friends, four people, and they're carrying somebody who cannot walk. If there's anyone from the youth group here today, I know it's been a while since I've talked to you directly, but that's because Max banned me from the youth group when I accidentally got that person to think they were the Antichrist, and that was a mistake, and it was a long time ago. I'm sorry. It was a misunderstanding. I just want to have a little aside here as I'm talking about this story. I was just living in it this week. I want to talk about friends just real quick. You're in a, probably in a, in a time of life where you need to be evaluating who your friends are. And I just want to speak to you directly and to say, if you are looking for a good friend, I moved to this town, I didn't really have any friends. And it's one of my number one uh, joys to have a discerning community that I can trust. And if you're trying to figure out who your friends are right now, and you are looking for the smartest, or maybe you're looking for the cutest, or maybe you're looking for the uh, most popular, don't fall for that stuff. Write this down. Find a friend like these guys in Mark chapter three or Mark chapter two who will carry you to Jesus when you cannot carry yourself to Jesus. This is a friend that you want to hang on to because there will be a time in your life where you can't get there. These guys go above and beyond. Literally above and beyond. They go up to the rooftop of the house. And they start to tear away at the roof and they, they, they want to lower this guy down to, to get him to the feet of Jesus. They're not taking no for an answer. So they bring him to Jesus. And this is where the plot thickens in this story because you'd think that Jesus would see this act and just say, hey, I see your faith and, and therefore be healed. He does not say this. I think you can see this in two verse four and five. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's a notable point to me because for whatever reason, Jesus decided to speak a word of forgiveness before he decided to heal this person. I've been watching that TV show, The Chosen. Anybody else? Sometimes I feel like it's the only one. I, I'm not, it's about Jesus, okay? So I'm gonna watch it. And I started to feel a little dissonant after a while because every episode is just like, in the Gospels, it's just highlights, you know? It's just, hey, look at this miracle and look at this crazy story and it's really profound and then I have to go mow my lawn. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, so I wish, and I caught myself thinking this classic thought, sure, it'd be a lot easier for me to follow Jesus if I experienced this stuff as often as these guys did. And I have seen some crazy stuff in my life and I, and I, I, I can tend to forget that. But don't make the mistake of thinking that a miracle is more important than the message of forgiveness. This is something that you can do today, that you can do every day. For all the drama that we sometimes feel as Christians over the years, we're like, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not praying enough. I and mean, why can't I see? Maybe it's because I'm an American and I can't, you know, America doesn't have, or whatever the, the things that we get to make it complicated. Remember this, sometimes Jesus said, instead of a miracle, sometimes you need to just have the message of forgiveness and say this to somebody. When's the last time you said to somebody, hey, your sins are forgiven? When's the last time you prioritized that over anything else and said, actually, I know that we think we have all these other things that we need to bring to Jesus and that we need to hear him say, but this is one of the most fundamental 
priorities that Jesus wants to be known as to you and to this man before he heals him. I want you to know who I am, a forgiver of sins. Now, the religious people didn't like this. They're kind of judging Jesus, and he looks right at him and says, I know what you're thinking. Blasphemer, right? So he says, which is easier, saying someone's forgiven or telling them to stand up and walk? So that you will know that I can forgive sins, I'm going to perform a miracle here and tell this man to stand up and walk. That's a spite miracle. He did that as a confrontation to these people who were judging him. Sometimes we can get so angry at the idea of somebody being forgiven of something. We don't want him to be forgiven. We won't celebrate it. We'll judge him. We'd rather judge the whole interaction for whatever reason than to celebrate the message of forgiveness. The second story is a story about Matthew being called, or Levi here in this story. He's being called, and he's a tax collector. He's being called out of this group of, you know, hated people, the tax collectors. And there's this, just coming along with that, there's a whole collection of people that he knows that Jesus is going to eat dinner with that night. They have a celebration. But it's full of people who they're deeming as sinners, quote-unquote, and tax collectors. The Pharisees are frustrated by this. And before I go on and judge them, I actually resonate a little bit with that if I look back on my life. I'm a, like a 30th generation Christian, and I don't regret that in any way, and I have no judgment. I love my family, um, but maybe this is just an, a misunderstanding that only I had. Well, growing up, I genuinely thought that people who were not Christians could contaminate me. I had to stay away from them. Brittany Jacobson came in to do a podcast with us this week about a ministry she's been doing with uh, women who are dancing in strip clubs. And I was in the process of talking to her about that. And I thought, I would never be able to even look at a building growing up. Like that building, like just even looking, I always felt like was, was wrong. Even, even a sign on the highway, if I saw a sign on the highway, I asked my brothers. We were always like, did you peek at that sign? Like it's a, the biggest thing, in the, you know, and like let alone go talk to somebody who's involved in this, you know. And I started to just develop sort of an allergy for people who are not uh, Christian as if their, whatever that was, that they existed in was going to ruin my Christianity, my identity and my faith. The problem is, as I started to look at Jesus, he is not in any way afraid of being contaminated by somebody who's not living right. He's actually opposite. I think that I see Jesus going into that environment, willfully being with these people. What does he say to the Pharisees? It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. This is why I'm here. I mean, is there any inclination in you right now to just sort of separate from people in this world and just group up in your own group that everybody agrees with each other and everybody believes this is how we're supposed to be and I don't want any of that in here. Maybe today he's just gonna start thinking that that's just too easy 
to just be in frustration and judgment of all those people. And maybe Jesus is calling you to go into the middle of that group and start to say, uh, let your light shine before men. Didn't he say something about lighting a candle and not covering it up and not hiding it from people, but putting it on the table for everybody to see? Didn't he say something about we're all actually a city on a hill and there's people in the darkness who want to get out of it? They need to see you and know you and have you a part of their life. Make friends uh, using, what does Jesus say? Make friends using worldly wealth for yourself so that they will invite you into their eternal home. So that when it's time to bring you in, they'll know who to call. I've done three weddings for bartenders in this city because I just wanna be there for people. I don't know, it just, something happens and then all of a sudden, you know, you just become friends and I don't know. We can tend to, to try and tribe up and seclude ourselves and um, I wonder where that comes from. The story number three that I'm thinking through here, the next story, is actually about not being religious enough, uh, not eating enough, or not, not eating, right? It's about fasting. They're looking at Jesus and judging him again. Hey, everybody's fasting but you. What do you do? Why aren't you fasting? If I had to put my caption on this story for just my own uh, Dan Standard version, it would be Jesus talking about them making it weird. <laughs> How to make religion weird. He says to them, you know what, you guys, they, they, will, fa I mean, they will fast, but fasting is uh, an aid to prayer. And it would be weird if I'm standing right in front of them for them to like just really rend their hearts and their garments to try and get close to me. I'm standing right here. Don't make it weird. There's no point. I mean, you're not going to lay down and you know, pray your, your prayer to Jesus. He's saying, just talk to me. I'm standing right here. That's what he says. And when the bridegroom is here, they're not going to fast. But when he leaves, and he gives them two examples of this, which essentially stand for just use common sense. Okay, he says, don't put a shrunk, uh, unshrunken patch on, you know, shrunken cloth, and don't put new wine in old wineskins. And I know, those examples don't always hit home with us. Not really exactly part of my life, wineskins and all that. I just use the boxed wine, okay? So <laughs> it's like, what he's saying is, uh, use common sense. You're making this relationship weird by adding things that don't belong at, at the wrong time. I mean, um, I guess an example of this, I have a lot of examples of making things weird. But what it essentially is, is you know, doing something for somebody that communicates that you're not actually in a relationship with them. You're just doing it for you, okay? So I had a birthday this week. This is gonna ruin my life. But I had a birthday this week. And there were people writing on my Facebook page, I haven't talked to you in 15 years. Happy birthday. You know what that does for me? It tells me we're not friends anymore. And it just reminds me. <laughs> I don't know you. I mean, that, why, why are you doing this? Now I'm never going to get a birthday wish for the rest of my life. I know. I know I shouldn't have said it. But you know what I'm talking about. It, it just reminds you of somebody that you're not, you don't know anything about my life and vice versa. And you're doing something. You feel like you have to do it. You feel like you got to say this today, right? Okay, that's what we say. Jesus, why aren't you fasting? This is what we're supposed to do. 
reducing our relationship to God to just doing, the thing, doing things right can trivialize your relationship with God. This is where they're really starting to struggle with Jesus because he is calling out a reality that they do not want to admit. Starting to really develop here. They do not have a relationship with God or else if they did, they would recognize him standing right in front of them. Instead, they're going to stay in the safety of doing things right. And the next story is where doing things right really gets challenged by somebody doing the right thing. Because the last story here, no, no, I'm on four. Still counts. I'm on four. Another eating story. Sabbath day, Jesus is taking uh, his disciples and they're just chomping on some grain. I don't really know. I've never done it. But they, I guess, could do this. And they accused him of breaking the Sabbath. But is he really? There's a rule on Sabbath, don't reap or, you know, harvest. But is this this what you call harvest? Y'all probably know, Deuteronomy 23, 24, there is a uh, specific verse that talks about that this is okay. When you walk through another man's vineyard, feel free to grab a handful of grapes. Just don't fill up your backpack. That's a Bible verse, 25. It says, if you're walking through a green field, it's okay. Grab some grain, but you can't walk around with a sickle. Okay, that's called stealing. Or if you're my grandma Pearl, when we, my great-grandma Pearl, when we were in the grocery store, would help herself to the bin of candy, the bulk candy bin, and she told me, it's fine if you just take one, okay? It's, this, it's not, you can't fill your pockets with it. It's a Bible verse. Is he breaking the Sabbath? No, he's not even breaking the Sabbath. And he gets pretty salty about this because of how important the Sabbath actually is. They have made the Sabbath into an idol. They've turned it into this Lord for their lives and it's the complete, it couldn't be farther from what it was intended to be. The Sabbath is more than just Sinai. I mean, you know the story. They, they, they had Sabbath uh, part of their lives right when the manna started to fall. How, what would that mean to somebody who was a slave their whole life? The Sabbath goes even farther back than that. He goes all the way to the first pages of the Bible where God is, is depicted as the source of all of creation. And in this just fabric of creation, he stops and rests in instituting a reality for humanity, which is this. <laughs> the entire world is going to judge you based on what you can produce and what you can bring to the table. But in the kingdom of God, there is a very distinct rule that's actually the opposite. You will not be judged and evaluated based on the things that you can create and bring to the table. You will be just, you're okay. There's a day of the week, a time of the week, a time for you to set aside to just stop and know that God loves you exactly how you are and for who you are and has seen you since your mother's womb. And he does not, he's not waiting for you to arrive and become this big deal in the world. He just loves you and that's okay. And this message of rest and being okay where you are is so important to Jesus that he wants to attach himself to it, as you can see in the story, why say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. 
I want to be affiliated with the right version of this because I want you to know that how much I want you to be free and okay and, 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 and here. Man was not made for Sabbath. Do not reduce God to this computer program that if you don't punch in the characters, and he's going to be mad at you because you put a handful of grain on the No, 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 no. Sabbath was made as a gift to you to remind you how loved you are as you are. It's important enough for Jesus to point that out. And it, it only incre incrementally adds in the next story that I read to you. Story number five in the sandwich. <laughs> he goes to church. And they're, at, they're at the synagogue on Sabbath. And they're mad. They're mad about all this stuff. And they're looking for a way to just get, get more ammo against Jesus. He brings this guy before them. And he asks the simplest question you could ever ask. Tell me. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil? To save someone or to kill them? And they couldn't answer the question. It's not because they didn't know the answer to the question. It's because of their stubbornness. Because they are stuck in such a rut with their way of doing things that they are threatened by the idea that when life gets complicated that it can actually be this simple. I know that when we get just stuck in our religious ruts, we pretend like we have a one-size-fit-all for everybody in the world. In, in my frame of reference, in my paradigm, is going to fit on all these people. And if you don't get into that, you're in trouble. And I'm mad at you, and I'm angry, and I'm to judge you. Well, we live in an organic world of people that are making decisions, and we have to figure out how to live here. And when we're so overwhelmed... And we're so frustrated and exasperated. Maybe sometimes you just need to hear Jesus boil it down to a simple question. Is this loving or not? And if you're struggling with anger today and it's getting the best of you on a regular basis, then maybe this week, every day, you need to ask yourself this simple question. Is it right for me to love this person or hate this person? Is it right for me to do evil or to do good in this moment? And I believe that the world is ready to taste and see that the Lord is good. And that good can come out of your relationship with them as you learn how to forgive and to be patient and learn how to, uh, to walk with somebody, even if they're in a different place than you. How do I know if I'm in a virtuous anger or a vice anger? How do I know if this is an anger that's like Jesus here or if I'm on the team of the Pharisees here? Well, go through these stories and start asking yourself a question. Does my anger lead to somebody remaining? <laughs> Does my anger justify me leaving somebody who needs to be healed? Or does my anger lead to healing in this world? I'm sure there's a lot of answers and responses that we can have to justify you know, certain things, a lot of answers that they would have to Jesus by saying things like, sure, uh, you know, easy for you to say, forgive you, I'll forgive you. They didn't even ask for forgiveness, Jesus, and I'm mad about it. That person's been living their life not repenting, and they, they, they don't deserve that forgiveness. Is it hard for you to just celebrate the reality of forgiveness in this world for people? 
Or do we turn to our frustrations and, and, and live on that? Is it hard for you to celebrate the fact that people like that would be considered sinners and tax collectors are being welcomed into the kingdom of God every day? And, and does it cause you to be frustrated because they don't belong or maybe they haven't worked as hard as you and fasted as much as we have or whatever and yet they're still closer to, to Jesus or feel or look happier than, than the religious people do? If this is part of your life, ask yourself, maybe this is the anger that I need to let go. But the anger that I see in Jesus as, as, as he in this story is depicted is an anger that is willing to stand up and say no to injustice. Maybe we need to learn how to love the sinner and hate injustice in this world. Maybe that, that anger that he gives us permission to have is one that's not directed towards flesh and blood but towards the rulers and authorities in this world that toward our actual enemies. He is saying no. He is directing a no, not necessarily to a person that he's mad at, but to an oppressive system that they're living in that says, yeah, in order to be a good Christian, I have to let go of, of allowing somebody to be healed. No. No. He is saying, I, I'm going to say no to all of the, th of the religious thoughts that condemn people, all of the things that are oppressing uh, this group of people. And, I, and I'm going to say I'm angry against that and I'm gonna do something about it. There are a lot of people in this church who get this no. Who use their anger in a constructive way. Like the Hesses, like Missy Wiseman with C, like Brittany Jacobson who, who are all saying no. We will not stand for human beings to be trafficked in this world anymore. And we're going to do something with that anger constructively. There are people in this church who are teachers and social workers who are saying, I am not going to let children uh, grow up without a positive influence in their life, without mentors. I'm going to say no to that. There are people in this church who are medical workers of all kinds who are saying, no, when a world is running in the opposite direction of, of all of this stuff that can hurt us and harm us, they're saying, no, I'm not going to leave the, the, the sick to fend for themselves. I'm going to stand in there. Be angry. Do something that looks like the kingdom of God, that looks like setting people free. Because what's at stake here is that if we direct our anger at just being the police of all the stupidity in this world, we're gonna start causing people to feel like they're outcasts in the kingdom of heaven. We're gonna start making people feel like, people that Jesus loves feel like they don't belong. That's what's at stake. So evaluate yourself today and say, is this getting the best of me? and giving me permission to hate people that God loves. Practically speaking for me, just one side note here that I've been doing for quite some time now is when I feel like there's somebody that's just really aggravating me, um, I just say out loud under my breath, you are not my enemy. And I keep saying it and I keep reminding myself that this is the truth. This person is my brother. And I have been given permission to love this person. And, and maybe that's just one step practically that you can take this week um, as you start to interact with 
all of the anger that we're surrounded by in this world. It's tearing itself apart. Let's figure out a way to mend it back together. I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we pray and invite you into a liturgical action with me. And if there's anything about any of these five stories that have really sparked your, um, your mood and as you're, you're being humble and evaluating yourself, like is there something that, that just sort of struck you as a pattern in your life? Um, I want to invite you to take your hand as we pray and just make a fist and raise it up just a little bit and just start to ask God to show me who do I hate? Who am I angry with? Is there somebody in my life that I am withholding forgiveness from and actually and judging them instead of forgiving? Is there somebody in my life that belongs in, but I want to keep them out? Is there somebody in my life that's just not doing the religion right and so I'm going to judge them? Is there any anger that does not belong here? On the count of three, I just want to invite you to, to open up your hand and let it go. One, two, three. Stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand and keep it up and receive the forgiveness and healing as you have displayed that, that, that you believe in the forgiveness that has come from Christ. As we just lift up our hands, we just remember the one who Ephesians chapter two says is in the shedding of his blood provided peace for us and tore down the wall of hostility that's between all of us. And we lift up our hands and we, and we actively say, I accept that. And as our hands are lifted high, all together, we just say, I have my hand up as a protest right now towards the evil in this world and say, you'll not come any farther. Your work is done here and you will not lead me anymore into a life of malice and into a life of rage or into any pattern that would be uh, communicating that to this world. But I'm going to be angry against you. I'm going to be angry against evil in this world. We receive that healing. We receive that calling, Jesus, to do right by you and what you've done in this world. In your name, amen.